Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Kaylin Murcott revolutionized the jigsaw puzzle as founder of the socially conscious puzzle brand, Jiggy. She joins me today for a discussion about the inspiration behind her thriving company and the professional journey that got her there. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, your host, and this is Motivational Mondays. I am excited to be joined today by Kaylin Murcott, founder and CEO of Jiggy, a direct-to-consumer jigsaw puzzle brand on a mission while also supporting female artists around the world. So Kaylin, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Hi, thanks so much, Corey. I'm so excited to be here and talk to you. I'm so happy you're here too because um, I have a puzzle story that I want to share with you, which I'll get into that's so aligned with what you do and how this whole thing started, I think. So I think you'll enjoy that story. But to begin with, though, I want to talk a little bit about an idea of reinventing the puzzle, right, that became now this really big million-dollar company. So how did that inspiration begin? Yeah, absolutely. So I started, well, I originally started my career in management consulting, but then I very quickly went to an early startup here in New York called The Skim, it's a media company. And I spent four years there and it was really in those early startup days, which were amazing, but definitely stressful and all consuming. And I was just, you know, on screens all day long on my computer 24 seven. And I was looking for a way to unwind and unplug and just kind of get away from technology and be a bit more present and mindful. And I tried traditional meditation and yoga and, you know, some other things people recommended and they just didn't totally land for me. And then I did a puzzle and it clicked and I found them really stress relieving and just, you know, my form of meditation. And so I was doing puzzles all the time, but all the ones I could find were just, you know, grandma's puzzles. <laughs> right, Very right. kind of cheesy stock photography and felt a little outdated. And so that's where the idea originally came from of just my love of puzzles as my you know, nightly unwind ritual and wanting to kind of reintroduce them for a more modern audience. And especially because what you were doing in that role at the skim, and I I think in general, you were doing like social media for them, right? So you were definitely on your screen a lot. And that's just, it's a lot just, I think, even just visually just staring at a screen all day, whether it be a phone or a mobile device of some kind, right? And so you really need to unwind. Right, exactly. The idea of like an activity with actually doing something with your hands was just such a welcome reprieve at the end of these just phone and computer long days. Yeah, sure. And obviously there was a market for it eventually you would find out. But in the meantime, though, I guess discovering your own connection with sort of like having it as a meditative tool, what are the other benefits? I mean, are there clinical benefits other than the meditation part? Like what other benefits can we get from that? Yeah. So once I was feeling this impact myself, I started actually kind of reading into it. And 
There are studies that have connected puzzles with improved memory and decreased dementia and Alzheimer's and improved sleep quality. You know, certainly in childhood, just spatial recognition and kind of problem solving skills. Mm. And so as I kind of dug into some of the research and studies out there, I became more and more of a believer that it's not just relaxing and fun, but actually brain health and kind of good mental exercise. Yeah. Well, the story I mentioned earlier that I wanted to share with you, which is it's sort of a bittersweet story, but it really speaks to what you just said about some of the therapeutic qualities of puzzles. So really quickly, I'll tell you, my grandfather is 92 years old, still does crossword puzzles. Wow. And he's really sharp as a tack, right? I mean, just amazing mental. I mean, I I would hope to be (laughs) at that age and be as sharp as he is. But so 20 years ago, his wife, my grandmother, passed away. And they had been married 40-something years at that point. And we just had never experienced that kind of loss. And instinctively, my grandfather, because he had not been without her that whole time, he comes home like almost immediately after her funeral. And it seemed like he just became enthralled in doing these like massive 1,000 piece puzzles. Mm. And I had never seen him ever do a puzzle in my entire life. Like, you know, it just didn't, it wasn't a thing. And he would do them like weeks at a time until my mom began to frame them. And it was a therapeutic way for him to mourn and grieve until he could transition into like kind of realizing that someone wasn't around anymore. But it was a really therapeutic part of his process. And so when I had the opportunity to talk to you today, I couldn't wait to share that with you because I don't know if anyone else has ever used it in that capacity, but it's a big deal. It is. That's so beautiful. And it's interesting you say that because I actually have a friend who in her mid-20s, she tragically lost both of her parents. And so she actually started a community around grief. And she mentioned when I launched Jiggy, she reached out and you know said that there is kind of this use of puzzles in the grief community, especially. And we saw it over the past year with COVID when people were quarantining alone. And so that loneliness, and if you're in the house alone, whether that's a loss or or the circumstances of the past year, it really kind of, it's a one track. It focuses your mind. It takes full attention and it's kind of a healthy escape to kind of focus your mind and maybe quiet some of those thoughts and just pass time. Well, that's also a terrific transition as well, because I know that a big part of the evolution of the Jiggy brand for you happened during (laughs) the COVID pandemic. And it's obvious because people were home and they were looking for an activity. We needed something to do. So I know you were in a really unique situation where as the legend goes, you had run out of inventory because people were ordering so many. And then you were faced with, oh my gosh, all these orders, but now I don't have puzzles. And you had a very innovative way to remedy that, which I think speaks a lot to resilience in business. So if you can share that story, that'd be really wonderful. Absolutely. So yeah, the timing, you know, just so happened. It was one of those things. I had been thinking about this idea for years, but still had a full-time job. And when I finally left and had the conviction and dove in, I ended up launching November 2019. So I had about four months in business and then the pandemic, obviously, and and demand for at-home activity. So we did, as you mentioned, sell out quickly and inventory, supply chain, global freight, just so many factors that were making it really difficult to restock. 
quickly enough. So what I did was I got blank white puzzles. So pieces were cut, but there was no image printed on them. And we had this community of artists. So part of our model from the beginning is that each puzzle design is a piece of artwork by an emerging artist who we do profit sharing with. And during the beginning of the pandemic, we were hearing from them, galleries are closed, exhibits are canceled, no shows. And so there weren't a ton of outlets for their work and ways for them to support themselves. So it was kind of this perfect combination of, I have a product there's a ton of demand for right now. I can't restock quickly enough. Our artists are hurting and financially you know, need to support themselves. So got these blank white puzzles, distributed them to the artists, and they hand drew and hand painted directly onto them, essentially creating a, a one-of-a-kind piece of art on the platform being the puzzle. And then we did an auction so, you know, an art auction, and we split the proceeds between the artist, the company, and then a COVID fundraising for New York City, where, where we're based. So it ended up being a really just special moment for the brand and impactful for the donations and the artists. And it was definitely one of those necessity is the mother of invention <laughs> kind of circumstances of trying to find a creative solution. Well, I think what's so important about that story too is it does speak to the idea of not being stuck when something that you thought was going to go a certain way does not, right? So many times we go into a situation and we were so hell-bent on what we thought was the outcome that we're not flexible enough to say, well, maybe you're supposed to pivot a little bit now in a different direction. That's very important for you as a businesswoman to have made that decision. Yes. Absolutely. That is an interesting point that you call out. And I have a friend who has kind of coined that, you know, she was an investor, worked with a lot of founders and startups. And she actually said the most important factor she looks for is not EQ, IQ, but she coined AQ, which is your adaptability quotient and how, you know, it's everything's going to be coming at you every which way and you can never predict. So your adaptability, especially in a startup environment, is really crucial. Now, a lot of our members, well, I would say actually more of our members are women. 60% are female of our members at the NSLS. And so women going into business after graduation will be a major part of the landscape for our members. So I was curious to know if you had any obstacles in the beginning, when you had this idea, even if it were like naysayers, people who weren't supportive, or like what kind of things that do you recall a few of the obstacles that you had to overcome? Yeah, I think a couple were internal and a couple were external. And I think some of the internal ones of, you know, just knowing the numbers and what is kind of stacked against you. I think the year I started Jiggy, about 2% of venture capital funding went to female founders. I ended up deciding not to raise money. So that's a big one. I've heard from my community of female founders that they face a lot, but I myself chose not to raise. But the fact, I think it was somewhere in like the three, 4% range of female founded companies make over a million dollars in annual revenue. Just knowing this landscape, I think can be a bit daunting. And then also for me, I think it was, I loved puzzles. I love this product. I wanted it to exist. I think I kind of had to get over my own, a little bit of imposter syndrome and more just, this could actually be a business, not just kind of 
a silly, like a side project or just, you know, a hobby. Like, no, I can make money here and make other people money here. And to really know my numbers, put a business plan behind it and present it as a business rather than a hobby or, or just a side hustle. Right. And then, you know, I think I'm in the physical product world. So manufacturing factories, very old school still, in my experience, predominantly male business owners in terms of the manufacturing and and freight and logistics side of things. So just making sure I know the right questions to ask and I know how to spot when I have to negotiate for myself or get advice on something. So yeah, the whole physical product world has been very new to me. And as a first time solo female founder, felt the need to learn up quick on it to make sure I was doing the best for myself and the business. Yeah, that's really important because like you just mentioned, so many people don't really realize that. So they'll go and next thing you know, they have this company launch and they've given away like 75% of their company, which of course brings me to Shark Tank. Uh, (laughs) because, you know, you see that a lot where someone will have this great idea and they bring their idea to Shark Tank, everything's going great. And then finally they say, well, how much of the company do you still own because of the financing? And they're like, well, I have 30% left. And they're like, are you kidding me right now? So in your case, you did end up on Shark Tank as well. And you got a great deal with Mark Cuban. That was also a charitable deal too. Is is a I think it was half a million dollars for fifteen percent of the company, and then he also would match charitable contributions up up to fifty thousand dollars or something along those lines. So that's an amazing philanthropic deal that you don't see very often on a show. But you also were in a unique position that I guess at that point you owned your whole company, right? Which is again a key to maintaining ownership as much as you can when you're launching a new business. I feel as a founder to preserve as much optionality for yourself in the future. And so owning all or as much as you can, especially in the early days, just gives you so many more options and how to leverage it going forward. So yeah, I owned it all. And the other thing to think about is not only the the equity, which you know, you typically dilute as part of these deals, but also the terms. And, you know, to your point, when, when you've given away so much so early, it's not just the lack of ownership, but it's also, you know, all these other voices and what's their vision and their goals and starting to have to stick to regular reporting and updates. And it just changes how you have to run the business. And, getting consensus and approvals and and certainly add some hurdles if you don't have the right partners making decisions in the way that you want to as as the business leader. So I think just as important as the equity is also who these partners are and how involved you want them to be, they intend to be. So that was something I thought a lot about just generally and certainly going into Shark Tank and making that deal with Mark. And I would certainly advise others to think about both the equity and the partnership. Thank you to everyone listening today. And don't forget, you can find us everywhere you stream and download your favorite podcast. We'll see you next week on Motivational Mondays.